You're listening to the Quince podcast. India is yet to recover from the severe second wave of COVID. We are still facing shortages of oxygen and vaccines amid a growing concern over black fungus cases. But there's already an alarm for an impending third wave of the virus. COVID has been with us for over a year now, and almost every state in India has witnessed its own wave. While Maharashtra is experiencing its third wave of this year, Delhi is in its fourth. But as the virus continues to mutate, many experts have opined that a third wave is arriving soon. However, its timeline and its strength are still speculative. Even the center's principal scientific advisor, Dr. K. Vijayaraghavan, stated on 5th May that a third wave is inevitable but later modified his remarks saying that it can be avoided if India takes strong measures. Which prompts the question, how can India prepare to tackle the next wave of the virus? What lessons have we learned from the second wave and what steps can the centre take to weaken the impact of the next surge? To answer these questions for today's episode, we spoke to Dr. Rakesh Mishra, the former Director of Council of Scientific and Industrial Research and an advisor to CEBM, and Dr. Giridhar R. Babu, a professor of life course epidemiology at the Public Health Foundation of India. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Himmat. The warnings of a third wave have been emphasized a lot in the past few weeks. But before we dive into when the third wave will arrive, has India crossed the second wave? Are we seeing trends which show that the surge may be ebbing? Well, yes and no. While some states and cities that had seen a surge in the previous months are now showing a decline, smaller towns and rural areas are now showing a rapid spike. For example, Maharashtra, which was the epicentre for the second wave, crossed its peak on 24th April, where it reported over 67,000 cases in 24 hours. Since then, the state has been reporting a decline in cases, reporting only 29,911 cases on 20th May. Similarly is the case of Delhi, which reported over 24,000 cases on 24th April, but has only reported 3,321 cases on 20th May. However, these figures should be taken with a pinch of salt, as there have been allegations of under-reporting of cases and deaths. Coupled with these facts, other factors like a functioning healthcare system, vaccinations, enforcement of COVID-appropriate behaviour by authorities also play a huge part in a decline in cases. But this is not the reality in rural India, where 65% of India lives. In a previous episode of The Big Story, we got in touch with COVID volunteers to understand what the situation is on ground in rural areas. And according to them, There is a severe lack of testing and medical equipment in the hospitals of India's villages and peri-urban areas. You can find a link to that episode in our show notes. According to Dr. Giridhar Babu, more than 50 districts in the large states in India have seen a 100% increase in the growth rate of cases over the past month and that the focus should now move from urban to rural areas. Uh, We need to understand this is a function of uh, three things. One, uh, the... Uh, important aspects of uh, the virus, uh, the virus uh, as an agent factor, then the host factor, then we have the environment factor. What about host factor? Um, Hosts are human beings in terms of what proportion of human 
human beings are already either infected or protected with the vaccination. So this proportion is very important in terms of what will be the peak in which area. Finally, the environment is about how fast or slow the virus is spreading. And again, I'll uh, uh, probably stress on uh, what was already said, the virus doesn't transmit on its own. It is the people who are spreading. So the environment means how are the people behaving in terms of transmitting the virus? Now, uh, in terms of urban areas, if you see most of the metros have had at least peak uh, in the recent past or uh, much earlier in the case of Mumbai, uh, other urban areas are still seeing surge in cases, tier two and tier three cities, and the rural areas are witnessing surge in cases. Just to uh, put things in perspective, in terms of data, in the last one month, uh, more than 50 districts uh, in the large states have uh, seen more than 100% increase uh, in the growth rate of the cases. But why are we not seeing that kind of a number in terms of overall numbers? It's simply because the number of people in these uh, rural districts is not great compared to the metros that we have. So while these uh, mini outbreaks or mini peaks occurring in rural areas and smaller towns, we tend to not uh, notice this at the national level. And therefore, we have to be very careful because uh, people might be sort of in a joyous mood already, uh, a mistake that we keep repeatedly doing, uh, celebrating too early in the rural areas and in the uh, tier three tier uh, and also towns, we do not have the health infrastructure like we have in Delhi, Mumbai, for example. We do not have enough uh, human resources and we may not have people enough empowered to even seek testing on their own. There is huge stigma in rural areas in terms of uh, getting the test done. On top of that, the systems are also not very proactive in enhancing testing levels in rural areas. So therefore, uh, should we celebrate that the cases are going down? I'm not so sure. Is it a play to? Yes. Are we detecting the total number of cases the way we should be seeing? Definitely not. It is going to be there for a few more weeks, if not at least one or two months. We have to make sure that we redistribute the resources from the urban areas to these rural areas, ensure there are referral mechanisms, and save as many lives as possible. The focus should shift to rural areas. The crude reality that India is facing is that states are under-reporting cases and deaths. Several news investigations by NDTV, The New York Times and The Quint uncovered that several states like Gujarat, Delhi, Uttar Pradesh are under-reporting deaths. Take the case of Delhi, where an NDTV investigation found that COVID deaths between 18 to 24th April have been grossly undercounted by at least 1,158 deaths, as the Municipal Corporation of Delhi, MCD, data from 26 crematoriums shows that 3,096 cremations of COVID victims were carried out in the same period. The same goes for breakthrough infection rates as well, which show how many people have been infected with COVID after taking the vaccine. The Health Ministry on 21st April in a press conference only showed a single slide in the presentation on breakthrough infections, with no information to support what methodology was used to collect this data and even over what period was the data collected. Several anecdotal reports counter the numbers shared by the Ministry. So, in the absence of these crucial data sets, how do we plan an effective pandemic response and enhance our data collection going ahead? Dr. Babu Vezan. 
Uh, see, there are a few uh, imperatives that, that we keep postponing. For example, we say uh, right now we are in the high transmission season. So let us not look at things like hiring uh, manpower, um, I mean, uh, human resources. That's completely uh, probably misplaced as a fact because if we don't hire uh, human resources, even during an emergency, health emergency, when do we actually hire? So uh, test contact tracing and ensuring that people are referred in time depends mainly on human resources and these uh, are very important whether it is urban area or rural area most of the vacancies are not filled so when you have uh, such problems where there is nobody to look up to in terms of health system even if you have some temporary manpower they will not be able to cater to the need so what we should do right now is uh, at least my uh, request to all the state and uh, central government is identify all the areas where the frontline health workers uh, vacancies are not filled. Fill them on priority. Urban areas do not have the same kind of health uh, resources in terms of manpower as rural areas. In rural areas, you have one ASHA for every 1,000 people. You have one junior health assistant female for every 5,000 people. We simply do not have these kind of health manpower in the urban areas. As a result, we are unable to test, we are unable to do tracing. Nearly half of the people are unable to uh, trace in, in a metro. And then what happens, their primary contacts are missed. So you have a lockdown, but nearly 50% 50, 50 of the cases and their contacts are not traced. You have lost the uh, advantage given by the lockdown uh, because these 50% people keep spreading the moment you unlock, it is going to again increase. So strict mitigation and containment requires that we have the right uh, resources everywhere. And we need to be doing long-term planning with heightened uh, responsiveness for each of the wave. And it's very important to identify the outbreaks very early on and take action. For that, this is where uh, both of us, me and Dr. Mishra Sir, and, uh, who are doing different things uh, are important in terms of epidemiological investigations and concurrent genomic sequencing coming together and saying that, okay, this particular outbreak is probably because of this variant. We need to make sure everything that, you know, this is limited only to this area and it doesn't go to any other area beyond this. This will only happen when there is ownership at the state level, at a district level, and it is strengthened by the national level. Currently, uh, unfortunately, I have to say this, uh, I don't see that kind of, uh, uh, you know, urgent priority to uh, this. Uh, okay. So now what's happening is uh, you see people who are not trained in science interpreting data uh, without even knowing how the data is collected and what the limitations are, and therefore uh, making some errors. Uh, and then in that process of making the errors, uh, the entire uh, uh, policy uh, and the way policies are fo formulated and implemented uh, gets uh, you know uh, derailed. So uh, there's a simple approach. If NCDC is at the center of all of this, National Centers for Disease Control, why not let NCDC manage the entire uh, COVID-19 response in terms of data collection, review, how to strengthen it further? Because we should not begin anything new. There is already a system that the NCDC is running under IDSP. Um, we should be seeing uh, a, somebody designated as chief epidemiologist from NCDC, looking at the data, giving out the advice, saying that this is what is best for 
because one person is uh, not important that person will represent the entire institution of uh, ncdc and the idsp program they will be saying what is best action based on the data and as bureaucrats and administrators uh, you will have to make choices depending on the data currently uh, it is happening uh, the reverse we announce a policy and then there is uh, some data that will be generated as a result of that that is not the way uh, to control covid-19 it goes without saying that the current deadly variant of the virus has repeatedly broken records for new infections and deaths even though the new variant is being found in at least 60% of cases nationwide experts still cannot determine to what degree the mutant virus is responsible for the surge as per genome sequencing data collected 60 days prior to 2nd april when the second wave started the double mutant variant also designated as b1617 was the most common variant detected in the samples this variant of the virus was first detected in maharashtra in october 2020 and has now spread to at least 17 other countries according to an indian express report dated 28th may the b161 variant is the most dominant variant found in over 20000 samples tested in labs under the indian sars cov2 genomics consortium and the next wave may be caused by another mutant strain so long india doesn't take serious strides in vaccinating masses but how can genomic sequencing help us identify a problem before it gets out of hand and what insights do we gain from it dr rakesh mishra the former director of council of scientific and industrial research explains the process of sequencing and how real time surveillance of samples can lead to real time response so there are two three criteria we use as you correctly mentioned if it is a breakthrough infection we are very keen we really just pounce on those samples because that is the most urgent one the simple reason is although it is expected that uh, uh, 20 30% people particularly if they are highly exposed they might get infected but these are also the platform where virus will try new tricks right because now it is facing the vaccine and the first thing virus will try is to escape the vaccine so that it can efficiently infect uh, people because it will find that hurdle again and again so our main aim is to see that by chance if any of these uh, breakthrough infections are new variants so that is something which that's why we are uh, that is the uh, hot spot now for the virus too that's why after vaccination must use mask uh, is actually you are otherwise challenging the virus and sometimes it may win so uh, so that is a very good uh, 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 criteria to select for sequencing and we want to sequence 100% uh, uh, breakthrough infection the other important things are wherever there is suspected reinfection although those cases are much less in number uh, all over the world but even if there is any suspected uh, case of reinfection we are very keen because that means it is breaking the old uh, uh, immune system so first of all to see whether it is really infection reinfection or is continued old one and somehow it is being detected or new variant has come which is able to do better as a reinfection as well. so that is one the third criteria is uh, if there is something peculiar a person uh, shows more symptom person that something uh, uh, which was not seen before so that those samples come from the hospital and we are very keen that we look carefully in them because maybe new variant is coming sequencing the only reason for sequencing is to see if the virus is changing its signature and doing something is not the other way you know already know it is positive there no need to go and revisit the same thing 
you are looking something new that's why you are doing sequencing and you are correlating there is new genome sequence new variation which can can be correlate to a clinical symptom uh, whether it's a reinfection whether it's a symptom and all that and then the the last one which is the large number of cases and that's where the most tricky situation is that you want to do scientifically randomized uh, sampling of uh, various geographical location to keep watching if a new variant is gradually uh, increasing uh, its footprint so that means there is something which is now growing and we have to just clamp that part that district that city and so on uh, so that is other kind of but that is very tough one because you have to have the simple as you just heard uh, heard dr babu saying we have shortage of uh, healthcare workers and this is sample has to come from place where testing has been done and then you select uh, 5%, 2%, whatever certain number, and it to be distributed all over the country. We are talking about India. So it is very, very challenging thing, uh, but it is very important. Although that, that is the only way we'll be able to early detect and preempt uh, uh, new variants from coming. Yeah, I just give one example, and you see that actually it can work uh, if you do it well. Uh, we have seen how it doesn't work if you don't do it. So, for example, when uh, Insacog was formed, it was basically when the UK variant came in picture and we had went in the panic that uh, it may come and so on. So, uh, all the airport uh, travelers who are coming from abroad, they were, it was mandatory whether they have been tested earlier or not, they will be tested at the airport, the lab is set. Uh, and then uh, if they are positive, their sample comes to CCMB, even today. And unless we give the result which variant it is, they are not allowed to go home. So sometimes we, we have been under tremendous criticism. You are taking three days, four days, because it, sometimes it, things don't work. And until then, the passenger is not allowed to go. But with the state government help, and uh, uh, we put our best, and uh, we have detected hundreds of UK variant passengers. They were all put for separate quarantine. They were not allowed to go. As a result, even today, UK variant is not prominent in this part of the of the country in uh, Andhra Pradesh or in Telangana, where Hyderabad is the main airport. The same thing, if it was done with this, this strictness, maybe volume was more. I do not know what uh, in the north part. There is very clear from genome data that the travelers came from UK in a certain group, and they had large gatherings and interactions of larger people, local people. Then these people went to the district and villages and UK variants spread like anything. Right. So actually, if we follow uh, some strategy, these are not uh, big uh, uh, brainers. You, you can actually, but we have to be disciplined. We shouldn't allow that somebody pays bribe and goes away without uh, thinking. There are certain places where we just have to be very, very strict. And if we do that, we can manage. So as you just heard that if there is somewhere unusual notice, you have to do two things. You go and do for variant and find out if it's new or something. But if you see cases are increasing, you don't need uh, anything else. First, it is to stop it and put all the measures in place and cut it at that before it becomes a problem to us. Now, vaccinations have been labelled as the best measure to prevent future surges and the centre in this department has been regularly sharing numbers on the number of people being inoculated and has also opened doors for foreign vaccine manufacturers like Russia's Putting V to enlarge our vaccine basket. But right out of the gate, India's vaccine response has stumbled and stalled. The centre failed to order vaccines in advance from the manufacturers, leading to multiple states reporting vaccine shortages. 
And amid this shortage, the centre also made the 18 to 44 age group, India's largest demographic, eligible for vaccines on 1st May and passed the onus of vaccine procurement to states and private hospitals for this age group. This, as we know, has led to several states pausing vaccinations for the group altogether and even issuing tenders for importing the vaccine since none are available in India. So, if vaccinating as many people as soon as possible is the answer to prevent new variants from emerging, how can India, the pharmacy of the world, use its resources to up its response? Dr. Babu believes that depending on existing vaccines, which are Covaxin Covishield, is not the best way forward to vaccinate India's vast population. He adds that the centre should open manufacturing as well for foreign vaccines so that it can be exported to other countries at a low cost in the future. I do believe that India has the strength of uh, making sure that not only cater to the needs of Indians, but also become the largest exporter for low and middle income countries of affordable vaccines. But in order to do that, uh, we need to think uh, um, in, uh, similar to how you allow newer businesses to start. So there has to be facilitation of, uh, you know, probably a single window clearance of all the regulatory approved vaccines for those vaccine manufacturers to come to India, collaborate with the Indian companies and make sure that they manufacture here. That's the only way. If you depend on only the existing vaccines and then uh, we keep on saying uh, wastage has to be reduced, make sure that uh, you plan well, make sure that you, uh, this is all fine. Once you have enough supplies, wastage can also be reduced. But only wastage reduction will not solve the real problem. So in order to do that, the make in India story of the Prime Minister can definitely be utilized here of inviting more firms, get them manufactured along with the Indian companies and have enough supplies. If there are more newer variants of concern in the future, the vaccines will have to be updated based on those variants of concern. So there is a business scope for even these companies to manufacture in the long run, not just to meet the demand of the current, uh, you know, uh, variant. So, and probably booster doses in future. So, this is the time when India has to make a case for turning around the story around vaccination. It will take few months, but at least before winter, we should cover all the vulnerables. There is no excuse for not covering vulnerables now. Uh, by vulnerable, I mean anybody with comorbidities and elderly. If we are able to cover them before the next wave, I think we can reduce a significant amount of mortality in the next wave. As you can see, a lot of factors ride on the third wave from being a distinct possibility to a reality. But as alarm bells for the next wave continue to ring, we must carry the lessons we have learned from the second wave and remain cautious rather than hopeful. Till then, double mask up when you step out, maintain social distancing and stay safe. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast@thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts.